Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. This past Sunday morning, I was not able to get through. Um, the, the Lord just began to move in a sweet, sweet way in a direction. And so tonight, I want to um, go back to that particular place. And I'm just going to, for the sake of everybody... It's been a few days, been a little while, and I'm just going to recap a little bit of where we were, and I understand this, and I want you to know that I understand this. I'm not trying to recreate Sunday. Sunday was Sunday, and this is Wednesday, and uh, the sun has set a few times, and we're here specifically, and I feel like we're in the will of the Lord to be right here, right now, and right here at this place in time in this passage of Scripture, and so... Um, I just want us to try as best we can to let the hand of God connect us to the truth, the enduring truth of his word, and let the power of the Holy Ghost touch us. And you've been standing a while, let's pray together and just ask God to touch his word in our heart. We love you today and thank you for the privilege, God, to be able to, to preach and teach your word and exhort from you. And I ask you today, God, as you have admonished through the lips of Paul, Lord, to take the word that has been committed to us, committed into other hearts and lives, and that's what I want to do tonight. And I can't do that on my own, and I don't even want to try, and so I'm asking you to stand with me, anoint my lips, and I just pray, God, that I'm only a vessel tonight through which your spirit can flow and your word can speak and strengthen us now in the precious name of the Lord. Amen. And you can be seated and thank you for being here tonight. We certainly do not take it for granted that you're here. I want to just quickly summarize a few things that uh, I mentioned uh, Sunday morning. And uh, I think I just went through uh, again to, to try to just bring out the things that I think will help us reconnect. I think it's important as we study the book of James and and read it to understand uh, to whom James is writing. And uh, it's always important to understand not only the author, but the audience. And uh, he's writing instructions on just practical applications of living for the Lord. And uh, sometimes, you know, I've been given a lot of jobs through the years in church and uh, and sometimes you, you're willing to do the job, you just don't know what it entails. And uh, I always work better or I always feel better if someone kind of describes for me their level of expectation. I like to know where the lines are. And uh, I don't want to understep, but I certainly don't want to overstep. And so it's important to understand that uh, Tim, that James rather is just writing on some instructions of how to live for the Lord and uh, how to best apply this Holy Ghost experience to our lives. And another thing to keep in mind as we study the book of James, as well as others, but this is our study tonight, but he's writing to a, a group of people who have not yet fully matured in the Lord. They're on their way to maturity, but they have not matured. And so we're looking at a snapshot of the early church uh, in somewhat of its infancy. According to James, some of the things that plagued this early church was the fact that their relationships with one another was seemingly characterized by strife. And, uh, and so that's why we read in chapter 4, verse number 1, James asked a very pointed question, from whence come ye wars and fightings among you? And then James answers that question with a question, come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members. And so this is not a foreign battle fought on a foreign ground. 
But this is a battle of will, a battle of hearts, a battle of our mind, and it's the man in the mirror. That's who James is talking to. And so uh, I, I uh, think it's important as well that we realize our tendency sometimes to look through rose-colored glasses at yesterday. I've heard people talk about the good old days, and I understand, I think, I understand at least what they mean. There are some good old days in our past, but uh, to be honest with you, I really have grown fond of running water. <laughs> and air condition and things of that nature. The power goes out and all of a sudden the good old days just don't seem so good anymore. <laughs> and so if we're not careful, we can do the same thing biblically and scripturally. We have a tendency sometimes to romanticize the, the first century church and we think just somehow... You know, I've heard people say, uh, where are the miracles of the book of Acts? And uh, I think that there may be some innocent ignorance that is at play there, and I say that truly respectfully and not an ounce of cynicism. I really mean that. But if you think about the book of Acts, it doesn't take you very long to read it. It's just 28 chapters, and uh, it doesn't take very long to read the book of Acts, but we have to understand that the book of Acts played out over many decades and so if we were to ask where are the miracles of the book of Acts, I will tell you that they are firmly fixed in the New Testament church of the 21st century. They have not gone anywhere. I have personally met, and uh, I mean this with all of my heart, I have personally met men, uh, ministers who have actually seen more miracles with their own eyes than we have recorded in the book of Acts. And, uh, and so we can't think that the New Testament church was just kind of on a pedestal all of its own and that it's just been downhill from there. Nothing could be further from the truth. We, uh, we are, are not trying to recreate the atmosphere of the first century church in that regard. Um, it, sometimes we think, you know, if we did that, everything would just be perfect. And I, I would um, admit and agree that the early church and that era is a, an era to be admired. And so I'm not making disparaging remarks, but they face many issues in the first century that we face in the 21st century. The first century church were, were people. It was made up of people, just like the church today. And uh, their cultures, their values, the, the economy of their world influenced them, just like all of those things of our day and time influence us. Many times, just like us, those, those influences were negative and uh, it poured out upon their life and that bleeds over into their spirit. And most of all, like people of all times, they were victims of their very own sin nature. They were victims of themselves. And uh, just because we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it does not mean that our old nature is completely eradicated. In that moment, in that instant, um, we are going to still wake up with the same social security number. We're going to still wake up with the same uh, hiccups and flaws that we had the day before we got the Holy Ghost. But we're not to stay in that in that place. The early the early church faced some severe problems theologically, and they faced some serious problems practically. In fact, most of the epistles were a response to some kind of major problem or an issue that was going on in the church. And so when James asked this question, where do the wars and the fightings come from among you? This is not a theological question. They're not having church. Amen. They're, having, they're dealing with an issue. And uh, so he says it's, it's a practical question. And so in the church, we've already read that James addressed many issues and now James are, is addressing those relationships that, apparently had deteriorated to the point that James referred to them as wars and fighting. Wars and fightings. And so if you're around the church, any church, long enough, you're going to discover that conflicts from time to time will arise because you have people. And uh, where there are people, you have opinions and, and, uh, and just different ways of doing things and different thoughts and ideas. And sadly, sometimes you have different agendas. And sometimes people have their own personal agenda that uh, really is not in tune with the, with the Lord or any at all. But conflict within the church is not avoidable 100% because we all just have our sin nature to deal with. But it is never God's will 
and it is never God's design. And so that's why we must resolve it and make sure that our heart is right with the Lord. Amen. Not our heart right with us, but our heart is right with the Lord. And so Jesus said to his disciples in John 13 and 35, he just gave this identifying ear tag mark to the church. And he said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. And that's going to be displayed by your love toward one another and uh, our love to one another. And so after Pentecost, I read this Sunday, this this particular verse, after Pentecost, we come across a pretty sobering passage of scripture that describes the New Testament church. In chapter four and verse 32, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. They, in other words, they didn't say this is, this is my water, this is my phone, my Bible, uh, this is my handkerchief, this, it's not my own but they had all things in common. If you need it, it is yours. And uh, there was a bond, an, an uncommon bond in the New Testament church. Their hearts were tender. Their spirits were tender. They had not forgotten what the Lord had done in their lives. And so I think that's why that we all need a consistent trip back to the altar. Amen. I'm, I'm talking about me first. We need a trip right back to the altar, Lord, to help me to never remember or never forget, rather, where you brought me from. That, that by grace, but for grace, amen, there go I. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's not our own shrewdness, our own power, our own thought, intelligence. It's not any of those things that's brought us to where we are, but it's the hand of the Lord. And so when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, we find that he's trying to deal with human nature. I'm just gonna share a few things that he writes about in chapter one. He said, this is what we ought to be reaching for. He said that we would all speak the same thing, that there would be no divisions among you, and that we would be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's what Paul was striving for. Amen. He reproved the uh, Corinthian church in chapter three and verses one through three. I'd like to read that for you. The scripture says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So in other words, Paul is saying here to the church, before I got everything together, I had to consider my audience. I had to consider uh, the level of which I was going to be able to speak. And so if you're going to speak tonight uh, to uh, uh, a pretty mature group of people, I can speak with with one frame of mind, so to speak. But if you're going to be talking to eight-year-olds, you're going to have to change how you, you're going to have to change not the message, but you're going to have to change the method of the message. And... Um, and so Paul said, I couldn't speak unto you as spiritual, but I had to speak to you as carnal. He said, I even had to speak to you like you were babes in Christ. And he said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for heretofore you were not able to bear it. Neither, neither he said, yet now are you able. I, can't, I still can't feed you meat. So this is, this is a pretty strong rebuke. So, the, so Paul is saying, I've, I, first I had to kind of dumb down everything that I was going to say. Is that all right? Yes. Kind of had to dumb down everything because you're so carnal. And he said, I've been feeding you with milk, but I've got some meat here, but I, can't, I still can't give you the meat because you're still hung up on the milk. Amen. And he said in verse three, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And so uh, in verse number three, Paul is kind of um, identifying why he thinks that they have yet to grow up. And he said, because there's envy, strife, and divisions. And he said, that's a sign of carnality. Your flesh is in the way. And so we have to, uh, we have to grow up and let the spirit of the Lord take us to another level. Now, as I said, uh, when we last visited this, that we can't afford to overlook the distinction I think this is important, and so I want to repeat it tonight, that we can't afford to overlook at any time in anybody's life the distinct line that is drawn between justification and sanctification. Justification, that forgiveness of sins, when we, are, when we repent and we are baptized and we're filled with the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, amen, it happens in a moment of time. That, of course, comes to us through faith, by grace through faith, 
We don't get the Holy Ghost. We don't receive salvation based on past behavior or performance, but it is a, a dying man on an altar. Am I right? Amen, that dying old man on an altar, and so we are justified. However, sanctification it has to do with our growth. And so while justification and sanctification take place at the same time, one is instant and the other is gradual. We are justified in a moment of time, but sanctification is a process. It's a gradual process. And uh, it's something that, as a matter of fact, it's happening right now. Amen. If we could see it, if we could see sanctification at work right now, if we could embody sanctification, I'm not trying to be weird on you, but if we could embody sanctification, it's walking up and down the aisle right now. It is massaging our mind and our heart. It is challenging our thoughts, helping us to grow into him. When we were reading our Bible today or praying today, sanctification was standing beside us, helping us, lifting up our arms, strengthening our, our and establishing our ways before the Lord. Amen. So when we receive the Holy Ghost, as I mentioned a moment ago, we do retain our old human nature, but there's a process whereby we submit that nature to the will of God. And so true Christianity produces a life that grows or matures in the Lord, and, and as that growth begins to take place, there is always something physical or always something outward uh, that evidences, uh, that begins to evidence what's taking place on the inside. A child doesn't just grow intellectually, but they grow physically. And so a child of God doesn't just grow in one way or in one realm, but we grow inwardly and outwardly, and there is evidence of that growth. And it should seem, in, 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 it should seem obvious that any form of positive change is not going to take place without some measure of confidence conflict in our life. Um, some people suffer, I think, more than others, and the word suffer may be a little bit strong there, but uh, some people are, are troubled or plagued by growing pains, some children, and they're real. And uh, they're growing pains, and there's, there's growing pains in life. It's just a part of, we just have to readjust our sails, and if we're gonna continue then we just have to make those adjustments and they're, they're painful sometimes, but it's, it's got to take place in order for us, us to have positive change in our life, in our body. And so that source of conflict many times, if not all the time, is our passions. Amen, there's the root or the seed of the problem. And so when we surrender our will and we and our passions and we control them or allow them to be controlled by the Spirit of the Lord, amen, we have to understand that we've got to have a hand bigger than ours. Uh, we've got to have a power bigger than ours because our passions sometimes are strong. Amen, and, and, and the writer says tonight that they war within us. They war within us. And so the point that these desires express themselves in various ways, and, and uh, he, having just concluded a study or so ago, the discussion about the power of the tongue. He includes the tongue, the tongue that yields itself to passions and causes wars and conflicts. And so into the church which James is writing, these simple passions express themselves through the various members of the human body resulting in individual battles. And when taken together, he said, this is not just a battle here or a battle there, but, but James says, we're, we're talking about a war now, a war this is a very serious thing. Verse number two describes how people try to satisfy their wrong desires. He said, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. And so he, you know, James is pulling out some pretty big guns if you're following along here. Amen, he's, he's not, he doesn't just have a little small pocket knife. He's just kind of laid a pretty substantial weapon on the table because he said you're resorting to murder. Pretty strong. But these fleshly efforts produce nothing positive. Now, I don't think that James was talking literally about murder, but I think we get the point. He's trying to shake us and wake us. And in verse number three, he says, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Amen. Have, you have not because you ask not. However, verse three clarifies that their prayer is not genuine 
because they have wrong motives. Their motives are wrong. A good example of this wrong motive is found in the parable of Jesus about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus said that the Pharisee stood, this is what the scripture says, and he prayed thus, he prayed thus within himself. (laughs) He's having a private prayer meeting and we have his prayer recorded. Man, I'm glad some of my prayers haven't been recorded. How about you? The Pharisee gave an outward evidence that he is praying to the Lord because he addressed God. And he said, God. He said, I thank thee that I am not as other men. (laughs) He was talking about himself to his creator. And so his motives were wrong. His motives were wrong. He said, I'm so glad, Lord, that I'm not like them. And here he has himself up on this pedestal and because his heart was not right, his prayer was not genuine. And so James refers to this as asking amiss. Now, this gets very serious because Solomon kind of spells out something that is really worth taking pause. When he teaches on the subject of prayer and prayers that fail to please God, a very sobering passage of scripture, and I read this for you Sunday morning and this is where I left off. And so if you're keeping up, I'm just now beginning tonight. (laughs) somebody said I forgot my pack of crackers and my Gatorade Proverbs 28 and 9 he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law even his prayer shall be abomination and so when we say I know what the Bible says but I'm going to do what I want to do that's a very serious a very serious thing because you see the Bible's not just a book it's not a book of suggestions recommendations not a recipe where you can kind of alter that and change it if you want but he said even his prayer shall be abomination that's a pretty serious thing and so now let's move to verse number 4 and verse number 4 is where I'm getting the title for uh, this particular lesson And that is verse number four, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Again, this is pretty strong language, pretty big guns. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is is the enemy of God. Not an enemy of God. You are the enemy of God. And so ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so when we think about this friendship of the world, friendship with the world, I believe again, as James used the word murder to make a point, I believe that James is also leveling this very serious charge of adultery and I think it's important that we understand that James is not talking to sinners but James is talking to the church amen and so that kind of statement wouldn't be something that you would make to an unbeliever like the the, the word murder I mentioned in verse number two in this verse the adultery in view is not talking about literal physical adultery but I believe that what he's talking about is spiritual adultery Now, I hope you're on the wagon by now because this is the meat of the message right here. That there is a such thing as spiritual adultery. And so while we wouldn't think about being unfaithful to our companion, or at least I would hope that we would not think about that, sometimes we are pretty careless in our relationship with God. Amen. I'm not sure if I told this story or not, um, if I did, just give me a little blessing, Jesus, silently. But uh, I was walking out of a restaurant the other day, and um, so as a, a, a lady probably about my age, or I'm guessing somewhere, I'm not really good with age, and, and a son that looked to be about the, son, the age of our son were walking out, and they were, uh, she was making some comment about the truck, I, my truck, and she said, that's a pretty truck, and she didn't know that I was coming behind them. And so when I turned around to get in, she said to me, she said, that's a very 
nice looking truck. And I said, thank you. She said, are you married? <laughs> now, I just, need to, I just need to give you this little word picture here because I had already opened the door. I had already stepped up on the running board and grabbed the steering wheel, was standing up to pull myself into the truck. And so when she said, are you married? I just stood up between the door and I said, I'm going to answer you as my wife would have me answer you. Yes, ma'am, I am very married. <laughs> I think, I think the whole thing was really a joke. I don't think she would have been that uncouth in front of her own son. But at any rate, the point is... <laughs> the point is not wherever you were going with that. I don't know where you're... <laughs> all kind of stuff running around this building. I, yeah, I get it. I started. I know. Don't, don't, don't build a fire if you don't feel like putting it out. I get it. <clears throat> the deal is is that whether or not there is a watchful eye there should be a ready made response this is not a praise me moment I'm just we've all had those things happen to us in a weird way and so we just need to know that there is a there's a hand of God there's a such thing as spiritual adultery and even if we're not committing spiritual adultery what about spiritual flirting we know, we know that that is an unfamiliar hand that's touching our heart. And instead of, instead of pulling away, we kind of lean into. And so we got to be very, very careful because the rebuke here that James is talking about has to do with spiritual unfaithfulness. And so the world that James is referring to is not a globe or a picture of the earth. But the world that James is pointing out here or underlining that we must avoid is, is what we would refer to as the present world system. Okay? And so the reason I'm using these words very intentional tonight, I'm not just willy-nilly grabbing these out of the air, but the present world system, and so the present world system as is, is as re- relevant for us tonight as it was the very moment that James penned these words because he was speaking against a present world system of his day. Amen. So for every generation, there is a present world system that is applicable. Every generation has, has faced the same principle of sinfulness, even though it's packaged differently. We are still facing the same principles today. For example, the first century church, they were not at all worried about technology. It wasn't on the radar yet. That wouldn't come for many, many, many centuries. And so there's a present world system. There's a present world system that existed before there was a telephone and before there was a television and before there was an internet and on and on and on, there was a present world system. So we can't, what I'm trying to really be careful tonight to do is to help us not think that we can just think about what James is writing about being so different than what we are facing in our world today. There is an immeasurable, there is not a measurable difference between the two worlds because it is a present world system. And so we, the principle of sin has always been relevant to every generation. So with that thought in mind, we are self-centered by nature and we are driven by our own sinful passions by nature and if we are not careful, those passions and that self-centeredness will cause us to commit spiritual adultery. Amen. Like ancient Israel, when we begin to, when we begin to, to embrace the values of unbelief that's in our world today, Amen. What happened was Israel consequently rejected God because they wanted to live in two worlds and you can't live in two worlds. Amen. You, you can say what you want to tonight, but you can't be one thing at church and something else somewhere else and think that God is just okay with this. Amen. God is no more okay with that than our companions would be if we were trying to live in two different worlds. 
You know, from time to time, thankfully it's not an everyday occurrence, but from time to time, it just comes up where men or women have lived in just two different worlds. They have two different families. Maybe if if their their job or their career causes them to travel across the nation or sometimes around the world, they may have just two different lives that are going on and how they balance those two things. But you see, eventually those worlds collide. Eventually, those worlds collide. It may take decades, but eventually those worlds collide. And can I tell you that we cannot be worldly and we cannot be spiritual and think that everything is just gonna be all right. At some point, those worlds will collide because when the scripture talks about friendship with the world, this is a very, very serious issue. Now, I understand, and I just prayed today, and I've asked the Lord many times, and I, I, I ask him just to service, and even during the beginning part of the service, God, help me today. To, I feel like I'm, I, I'm almost on a tight wire because I, I want to speak specifically. I realize the position that we are all put in from time to time, that we are in the world but not of the world. And so we've got to... Obviously, I don't think that the church should isolate itself and just go wait on top of a mountain until the Lord comes. We can't do that. We work real jobs, live in a real world, and we have friends many times that are not in the church, don't have the Holy Ghost, and I have friends that aren't in the church and don't have the Holy Ghost, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you know what? I don't have enough in common with them to build a very deep relationship with. Because at the heart of the matter, we are opposed. And I understand the value of reaching and the value of of being connected. And I exercise those own values and those own rights in my own life. And so I get it. I truly get it. But I have to ask myself some hard questions sometimes. And when, as I have taught for, uh, for the better part of 29 years now, that I have taught that we have to understand every day and be honest and assess who's winning the battle of influence. If they are having more influence on me than I am having on them, it is time right then not to think about it, not to sit down and pray about it, but it is time right then to start doing something about it. Amen. I, I, I can't allow, I, I used I think just a few Sundays ago, you can't take a clean rag and a dirty rag and rub the clean one against the dirty one and make the, the dirty one cleaner. It, it just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way in any uh, in any shape, form, or fashion of our society. You, you, you're not going to win that war many times. And so we have to understand the value of, of what James is writing about and considering this spiritual adultery. Amen. Consequently, as I mentioned a moment ago about Israel, they rejected God. Now, they didn't get up and say necessarily, we reject God. But nevertheless, that's exactly what happened because in time, actions speak louder than words. So Paul challenged the church at Rome not to be conformed to this world. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so in every generation, believers face the challenge of breaking free from the mindset of a non-Christian society. And so in many respects, we're not facing anything today that the first century church didn't face. And so in every generation, we have to say, Lord, help me to break free. Help me to break free. And so we have some of our youth here tonight. And so I'll just, I'll just pull them out, ask them to come up here on the platform with me. No, I'm just, <laughs> but I'll just tell you tonight that you're not facing anything in your world, in your classroom today. Ultimately, amen, don't look down. Look, at me. look up here. Amen, look at me. It's not much, but it's all we got to work with for now. Amen. <laughs> Until I get this new body, new resurrected deal here. But we're not facing anything today fundamentally that any generation before us has not faced. And so we can't get it. Well, I just can't live for God because 2017, blah, blah, blah. And we got this, we got that, and we got... But here, there is a world spirit. Amen. There is a world system. And every generation before us and any generation after us is gonna have to one day make up their mind. I gotta figure out how to draw a line here. 
And I've got to figure out how to maintain a line here. Amen, amen. And so friendship with the world and friendship with God, that's really an oxymoron. There's no such thing as that. And so Paul asked a sobering question in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. He said, what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? At some point, those people in the world are gonna be talking about things that ought to make you uncomfortable. At some point, Point, something ought to be said or done that would kind of rub our righteous indignation. I didn't say our self-righteous holier than thou, but our righteous indignation, something ought to be twisted and out of tune and out of key. You ever heard somebody sing out of key? Off tune? Out of tune, I mean, or an instrument that's out of tune. Just one little key and, and man, oh man, oh man, I, I, maybe if you don't are mu- not musically inclined or don't have an ear for that, don't bother you, but if you have any musical ear at all, you're going, ah, you want to say you can't hear that can you not hear that (laughs) I am meandering again aren't I amen so what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness after a while you're not going to have enough in common for there to be a foundation I didn't say a friendship a connection we need a connection how are we going to win the world if we're not connected somehow? But I've got to be sharp enough and honest enough with myself and I've got to be spiritual enough to, to realize that, that we don't have enough common denominators for us to forge some real deep lasting friendship here because, because we're living in two different worlds. We live in two different worlds. We're, we're strongly admonished that, that though we live in the world, we're not to be of this world. And now here's where we are. Uh, here's where we are this evening. Amen. This is where we are in, in our world. Because our world's way of thinking is to normalize or make acceptable things that are an abomination to God. Now, I started to bring a long list, but I just felt like I was probably going to take up enough time as it was, so I just left that list on... I just left that lay. But if you just want to do something interesting, don't do it now, but if you want to do something interesting, when you get home, just Google abominations against God. It'll take you a little while to read through that list. And so our world today wants to normalize And make acceptable things that are, that God says is an abomination. Not he just has a small problem with it three days a week, but an abomination. And so our world just wants to normalize it. And, and you know, we can just talk about all kind of catchphrases that we hear today to try to normalize. Amen. Just alternative lifestyles. We're just, what are we trying to do? We're trying to normalize things that are an abomination to God. And so if we just say it a different way, it makes us feel a little bit different about it. And as I've said many times through the years that, that uh, comedians and different ones have tried to get us laughing about abomination. That's right. It's the truth. And if we're not careful, Holy Ghost filled people will be warming their hands over that fire. And when you start warming your hands and your heart around the wrong fire, somebody's gonna call you out in the crowd. God's not gonna let you just stand there and warm your hands over a strange fire. Just one little girl in the vo- in the, uh, raised her voice in the crowd and said to Simon Peter, said, well, you're one of those, aren't you? Because while he was trying to fit in, and maybe for a moment he thought he was fitting in, (laughs) they knew better. And sometimes, if I may say this in the fear of the Lord, sometimes the world has more spiritual sense than we have. Because we feel like we're fitting in and they're looking at us and no, we don't belong there. And that girl said, you're one of them. Oh, no, 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 no. I think you are. No, 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 no. Finally, he curses 
to try to fit in and blend in. Is that all right? I'm in the, I'm in the word of the Lord. Amen. And so we gotta very, be very careful that, that we don't give in to that way of thinking that if we'll just make, we'll just call this normal. This is okay. We'll just call this okay and make this acceptable because if we subscribe to the world's values, then we will inevitably be corrupted by the world's views on critical issues. And so I say to the church, we must stand. Stand, stand, stand. I've never really been a proponent of making up a bunch of sandwich signs and walking all up and down the sidewalks, but I'm telling you, there's other ways to stand. I believe that we can stand for God. We can stand for God for one thing. Amen, we can stand for God by always making it comfortable for a preacher to stand behind a desk and preach about stuff like this. Amen, so that there is not a, there is not a gap or a chasm between the pulpit and the pew because I'm not preaching I'm not preaching the word of Steve tonight I'm preaching from the word of God. Amen, this evening and so we can stand by that and not let the pulpit just be the lonely place where there's just one voice echoing out but there ought to be voices amen that are echoing back this way. I'm not just talking about with an amen for the moment, but I'm talking about an amen in our hearts. So be it. That's right. Let it be settled. This is the way it is. Amen. We need to take a stand. Praise God. And so God's view of righteousness has not changed. And so we should never forget that we are subject to God's law and not man's law. And so James is stating rather emphatically that to befriend this world and its system is to make oneself an enemy are the enemy of God. And so now we move to verse number five. And he says, do you think the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Another translation said the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy. He said, do you think, or in other words, the idea that God is not jealous, do you not think that God is jealous? Oh, God is jealous. Amen. God will not tolerate in infidelity in his bride. No, he will not. No, he will not. Amen. Just as literal adultery violates the marriage covenant, spiritual adultery breaks the spiritual covenant with God. Amen. And so we gotta be very careful that we're not making warm eyes at somebody else. Amen. Because God is looking. He's looking at our heart. And I want my passions to be wrapped up tied up as the song said and tangled up in him James remind us that God is a jealous God in verse number 6 he says he giveth more grace wherefore he saith God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble James tells us that although God is jealous he is also gracious and so God is not off the chain jealous or unreasonably jealous. He is very jealous, but he's also gracious. And he stands ready to extend grace to anybody that will humble themselves. Humility is the key. Amen. But he said, I will, however, resist the proud. Resisting when God resists something. Oh, what a serious thing. And so this statement indicates two very important things. The greatest hindrance to being useful to God is pride. And the greatest aid to being used in the kingdom is humility. And so if we would approach something in the spirit of humility, we'll walk away differently than if we approach it in the spirit of pride. Amen. So God responds positively to the humble but not to the proud. Essentially, an humble person is going to declare their absolute dependence upon God while the proud declare their independence from him. And you know, America has spent a lot of years, recent decades, separating herself from God. We really have, as a nation, we really have. I'm proud to be an American, and don't you think this is an anti-American statement. I'm gonna tell you that America has done a lot of extracting God out of things. But I'm thankful. I'm very thankful when a crisis hits as we are experiencing right now that people are understand where their roots are. Amen. And we need to understand the value of prayer and I'm grateful to see that. And so let's pray that the Lord would touch us together. I'm just gonna ask you to stand. Musicians, you can can stay where you are. Thank you for your willingness. I've
gone too long. Amen. It's grace that aids us in maturing. I want you to please hear me. These are my closing remarks, but they're not unimportant. If we want to leave behind the foolishness that makes us an enemy of God and press into a more mature fellowship with God, then we need God's grace at work in our lives. So James is telling us how we can loose that force within our lives. This whole thing has been about humility, humbling yourself, humble yourself. And so when a person confesses their complete dependence on the Lord, then God responds by stretching an arm that is certainly long enough and strong enough to do what needs to be done. Emphasizing this same exact truth, Jesus Christ himself said, recorded by Matthew in Matthew 23, whosoever exalteth, exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Maybe you think that this little illustration is out of time or tune, but I, I couldn't help it. Friday night we were at our CPF conference in Ocala and Brother Kenzie, who, as I'm honored to say, been a long-time friend, when he took the pulpit, I was just reminded of something that um, I heard him share many, many years ago. And uh, he was going to preach one of his very first times, if not the first time. I'm not really sure about that. It could have been the first time or one of the first times. And, and so he went, his invitation was to go to a nursing home and preach. And when he got into the nursing home to preach, there were three people. And the Lord spoke to him and he said, if you will preach to these three, like there's 3,000, I'll let you preach to 3,000 one day. And if you know anything about Brother Kenzie, he has preached to 3,000 and more time and time and time again. There's something about just saying, Lord, just, just use me. But I know you're going to have to work on me in order to use me. So polish me and make me what you'd have me to be and realize that we can't do this within ourselves. I don't even want to try. Church is not like any other business. You can't run church like it's a grocery store. It's not a grocery store. Not a hardware store. This is a spiritual, very, very important entity and we need the help and the hand of God and I'm going to tell you that we can't do that if we have got our arms all around the world and just loving on everything else and come home you know it's an old adage I guess and I don't hope I'm not making anybody uncomfortable but talk about you know people come home with lipstick on their collar or something like that and and um, and I wonder what the Lord is looking for when we walk into the house of God. What what other kind of odors does He smell on us? What is there is there a perfume or a clone from the world? Is, have we been so entangled and embraced that that when we come into His presence, that that really our mind and our heart is somewhere else? We just hear we're just here in body. God, help us to be what you'd have us to be. Amen. Amen. I, I, I know I've taken quite a while tonight, but I just wonder if you'd slip your hands up and if we could just pray together. Amen. Let's open our mouth and give voice to our prayer tonight. God, I'm asking you to help us. We're fragile, frail, and we are destined to make many, many mistakes, Lord, if we do not have you anoint us. 
God, we're gonna make a bigger mess than we could ever dream if we try to just do this within our own power and our own strength. But I pray today, God, that you would help us to understand the value of a line between the church and this world's system and help us not only to draw that line, but we've got to maintain that line. We've got to understand, Lord, there's a spirit in this world that would try to just normalize and, and everything and bring balance to everything and merge everything together. But God, help us in this very day in which we live to keep a clear and distinct line, not just between the church collectively, but God, help us individually to keep a clear and a concise and a distinct Distinct line drawn in the sand. Help us, oh God. Help us, oh God, to keep that line and maintain that line in the name, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. You know, ultimately, people will appreciate you for maintaining the line. I read a story many years ago, and it was just a heart-rending story of a young lady. Uh, it was the perspective of a young lady whose life had just run awry and uh, and it was written to be the truth and, and certainly shared to be as true and so I share it tonight as truth of a young lady who's now uh, or was then at that time serving a very, very lengthy prison system, uh, uh, sentence in prison uh, from just the end result of a life just gone wild. And she wrote a letter and this was a letter to her mother and uh, her mother, she said to her mother, she said when all the other kids were parents called them home it was time for supper you never called when all the other parents set curfews for their children you never set a one for me and she just went on with this long list and she compared her life to those in her life that had structure and lines and order and she said, and tonight, because there were no limits in my life, I sit within walls. I sit within bars because nobody would draw a line and keep a line. You, you, you can take that for whatever it's worth tonight, but I'm gonna tell you something that even the people that don't agree with how you're walking admire how you're walking. Amen. Amen. And they would be sorely disappointed if you started blurring the line in your own life. So just keep the line. Keep the line. God, I love you today. You seal this word in our heart. I feel your presence and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I love you with all my heart. Let's make heaven our home. Let's do it together. What do you say? God bless you. You're dismissed in the fear of the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.